0: Okay, we got another one here put your hand flat down and get it okay you got it yeah then. okay let's see it let's see it Can okay, I hold on Good. i, I kind of wanted to pinch you because yeah there you go <laughs> <laughs> let me see let me see let me see let me see okay so <laughs> you're gonna let go of me oh god <laughs> <laughs> okay okay put your hand under the, okay put under the water <laughs> what did you learn <laughs> i didn't learn <want> anything <laughs> What did you learn? All right. I started that. Look, it's it's fitting that we should start with that video because it relates to happiness. And also, if we were to start a stream in which we're going to talk about Gad Sad's new book, The Sad Truth About Happiness, if we had started that stream with Justin Trudeau's vomitous voice, it would have been an ironic and a very unpleasant way of starting a stream. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, I am in, I think I'm in West Virginia. I mean, I'm in like the tri-state area, West Virginia, Virginia, Maryland, just outside of Harper's Ferry. That was at Harper's Ferry this morning and crayfish everywhere. And, um, oh, if you didn't see it, Andrew Skingston, you're going to have to, you're going to have to watch it. W- there are crayfish everywhere on the Potomac River and we played with cray- crayfish all morning. All we. right. We've, I'm not going to do too much of an intro. Didn't want to start with Justin Trudeau. Uh, Because that would make everyone sick instead of happy. Uh, Got Gad sad for an hour talking about his new book. And it's going to be amazing. So everybody share the link around. We're going to do this live. We're going to talk about it. I have not read it. And I have not listened to it yet. Because it is on audiobook. But it must be uh, relatively newly released on audiobook. The book is called "Get The Sad Truth. Sad's Guide to... Oh, we're going to get it. It It's called Happiness. Gad, you ready? Three, two, one. Sir... How goes the battle?
1: How are you? Uh, it's so good to be with you again.
0: Again, it, it, it's like it's totally um, circular, almost cosmic. We did the first interview or we did one of our interviews as I was driving from Florida to Montreal, spent the summer in Montreal. Now I'm driving back and we're doing the updated release of your book. It's cosmic. Um, but you've been doing the tour all week now, uh, hitting up one interview after another Oof. to promote the book. For those who don't know, look, everybody knows who you are. Who are you? And what's going on with you this week?
1: Uh, well, my name is Gad Saad. I'm a professor uh, still in Canada at Concordia University. I apply evolutionary psychology in the behavioral sciences in general and in consumer behavior in particular. Uh, I've written uh, many books, the most recent of which just came out this past Tuesday called The Sad S A A D, my last name, The Sad Truth About Happiness Eight Secrets for Leading the Good Life. And as you said, I left on Monday just the day before the official release of the book, and I just got back about three hours ago, uh did a, you know many, many shows in Texas and in New York City, and then I had done a whole bunch of shows the week before, remotely, all of which were also released this past this current week. So people are joking that everywhere they're turning, they're seeing God's side, which is I guess is a good thing
0: people don't like fully appreciate you write a book and you want people to buy it you want people to read it it doesn't sell itself it requires call it promotion but awareness so you did this week you did i know you did rogan i listened to that on the drive up here and it was fantastic and i think we're we're, we're going to talk about a few of the things you talked about with rogan today okay. who, who who else have you done this week
1: so then i did uh greg gutfeld the the late night show on fox uh he's incredibly greg gutfeld's now become the 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 king of late night TV, he he out uh, uh, out, out ranks or rate you know better ratings than uh, Kimmel, than Fallon, than uh, Colbert, and so I did his show, which is a unique kind of platform in that Greg is the host. There are four other guests. There are five different blocks. Each block there is a different topic, and then you know you've got a couple of minutes to say something hopefully interesting and engaging. I did his show and then uh, i had one show cancelled because of the trials and tribulations of having had my flight from texas to new york cancelled which is going to be rescheduled for next week that's the show with uh, clay travis and uh, buck sexton they replaced the rush limbaugh uh, show uh then i did uh the brian kilmeade show on fox a one hour national radio show with a guest host called mary walter Then I did the Epoch Times uh, American Thought Leaders, uh, so I did that. So yeah, it's been nonstop. It's
0: it's nuts. I mean, we'll get into the sad guide to happiness, but how do you keep the sad guide to um, authenticity when you do one interview after another? First of all, do you forget where you are? And (laughs) does it become difficult uh, to maintain the same level of energy when you're doing, I mean, I guess they're not identical interviews, certainly not when you do a three-hour marathon with Rogan to a one-hour with. How, how do you maintain the energy and <laughs> say the wherewithal to keep doing this? Well,
1: I think the, the fact that you never know which part of your work is going to resonate with a particular host so they can hit you with all, I mean, a few of the questions might be, you know, similar across most shows. You know, how do you, what is the mechanism by which you choose an ideal spouse and so on? But Every show has a million curveballs, so it's really not that repetitive. And as I said earlier, when I talked about the format of Greg Gutfeld, each of these shows is quite unique in its format, which in a sense really requires a completely different set of you know skills, right? Having an organic three-hour conversation with uh Joe Rogan is very different than having three minute chunks to say something. Creative and powerful and impactful with Greg Gutfeld. And so, because of all of that variety, which is, by the way, something that I talk about in the book, Variety Seeking, it always keeps it exciting. And so, luckily, even though I was, I might have been physically tired, mentally, I was uh, fully engaged. Fantastic.
0: Now, I think I asked you this the last time. First of all, the books that you've already written, uh, you have academic books and you had The Parasitic Mind, which is the one I say if books go viral, that book went viral. It's a term now. Whether or not variations of that term existed prior to that has become sort of a a go-to term on the interwebs. Um, You go from a parasitic mind to the sad truth about happiness. Is that sort of like Michael Malice's white pill? Like you wrote a book about the 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 fall (laughs) of Western society. Now you got to bring people back. Um,
1: What's the book about? Right. So the the book. So the the way I came about to even think about writing that book I I didn't have sort of this grand plan let me first talk about how minds are parasitized and then I'll talk about you know how minds can you know can adopt winning mindsets the way I had the idea of writing this last book is I noticed that a lot of people would write to me saying things like you always seem to be having fun and playful and you always have a smile on your face even when you're tackling serious subjects and you know I've got all these skits Viva, as you know, I'm hiding under the desk in, in faux fear. I'm self-flagellating to, you know, to, to mock the, the, the self-loathing of the progressives. I don a pink wig. And so even though I can be a very serious, austere professor, I can also be self-deprecating. I could have fun. And so people would say, well, what's your secret? How do you do it? So that's number one. And I would get that from many, many people. How do you maintain this kind of joie de vivre? The second thing is whenever I would post something that was prescriptive in nature. So in in, in psychology, you have a difference between descriptive, which is what I spend most of my time doing. I conduct research to describe human behavior, whereas prescriptive is me telling you, here are the four ways you should do this, right? And I never thought about really being a prescriptive guy. I I've never thought about writing a self-help book. I'm not a clinician. But then whenever I would post something on social media where I would offer some advice, that would be some of the most personally impactful stuff that people would feel, right? They'd write to me and say, oh, my God, when you wrote about, you know, get off the couch or whatever, which to me sounded like, no kidding. Of course, you should have personal agency and so on. That would really touch people. And so because of all of that feedback I was getting from people, I said, you know what? Why don't I write a book where I share people? You know, my views on how to live a good life, how to be smiley, how to be content. And so the book is really a mixture of three elements, if you'd like. It's my personal experiences coupled with ancient wisdoms and backed up by contemporary science. Put it all together, you hopefully have a good recipe for happiness.
0: Uh, okay, so we're going to get into it. The When you say that there's a scientific method of measuring happiness, this is something that I might have a bit of difficulty Understanding or accepting, because uh, it might be a little bit of projection, it might be too much cynicism. I sometimes find that the people who pretend or who purport to be the happiest sometimes tend to be the least happy. And I look at stand up comedians, actors, so on and so forth. And so I say, Good, they can give the advice, but they can't follow it. In which case, how good is the advice? Before we even get into that, what is, according to you, the scientific method of establishing, measuring, valuing, or evaluating? happiness
1: well it's interesting that you you what you said about the stand-up comics and so on because i have found that some of the most miserable people are happiness researchers and i say this it it, it this is not a scientific statement it's it's one laden with personal anecdotes so as i was doing my research and writing the book i would I became familiar with you know many of the most frequent names that arose in the happiness literature and so I would write to them saying hey I'm I'm currently conducting some research for my forthcoming book on happiness and you know I host a show I would love to have you come on and you know let's let's discuss it and then some of the answers that I got from these leading happiness researchers were baffling and how rude obnoxious miserable they seemed and so perhaps not to be too psychoanalytic maybe they decided to get into happiness research to try to explain why they were such miserable miscreants but in any case there are different ways that you could measure happiness uh so it's not as you know just like any psychometric scale in psychological and behavioral sciences there are ways by which you can validate a scale right so for example if i want to measure envy if i want to measure uh dogmatism if i want to measure uh intellectual curiosity as a psychometric trait trait how would i go about doing that and so there is a formal way by which you develop a scale that that actually validates that you are actually measuring that construct so i mean we can get into those technical details but I think most people would be bored so there are now there are diff there are debates in the literature as to what constitutes happiness how do you define happiness uh, is is it different from contentment is it different from well-being that's not very useful for what we're talking about i mean we can get into all sorts of arcane academic debates Happiness in the way I define it for the purpose of our conversation, it's long-term contentment, right? So it's not, so if you, if you imagine the endocrinological system, it's not the dopamine hit, which is short-term, right? If you watch a porn movie or eat a juicy burger or even buy a Ferrari, you're getting a short-term tickling of your pleasure center. That's not what I mean by happiness. Happiness in that framework would be serotonin. It would be contentment. It's me sitting on my porch and saying, "You know, I really have a good life. I have a wonderful wife. I have a job that has a lot of purpose and meaning. I've got great kids. I've got wonderful friends." So it's that long-term view of happiness. That does that generally answer your question?
0: Yeah, it's it's actually it's interesting. Yeah, the the first two examples, the porn and the uh, the burger, the burger at the very least would probably leave me more loathing myself maybe both <laughs> actually instead of short term happiness um but the dopamine hit versus the long term contentment okay interesting uh now what was the the methodology in terms of who you studied for this book who who, who were the contemporary ones and who were the historical ones
1: sure so uh the the historical ones ca- come from many traditions i mean it is literally true that if you looked at what is the topic that has been most studied by philosophers across many different traditions whether it be the buddhist tradition or ancient egyptian tradition or of course ancient greeks uh the number one philosophical quest that people have gone on is how to live the good life right and so you know my i had a i mean it was quite challenging to write a book that would honor all those great philosophers and thinkers while hopefully offering something that is unique. So what would be examples of uh, ancient uh, thinkers on this topic? Uh, the large majority of them were ancient Greek thinkers, many of whom were Stoics, but not not necessarily all of them. Uh, a,
0: a bit, if I may stop there yeah, you might have to explain the term Stoics for those who may not be familiar with it.
1: Right. so so there are different uh, f- uh, schools of you know, philosophical schools in ancient Greeks. The Stoics would would be guys like Epictetus, Seneca, Marcus Aurelius. Some people have recently heard increasingly more about him. So it's a, it's a philosophical school. So there are several tenets within Stoicism. One of which, for example, is it's not the event. It's the 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 pain that you might experience. The, comes more from how you react to the event than to the event itself. So if you alter the way you respond to that event, then hopefully you could react better to, which by the way is exactly what cognitive behavior therapy does, right? Because in cognitive behavior therapy, you have an incorrect cognition about something that is ailing your mind. And so the therapist is going to help you alter your cognition about that thing so that hopefully the downstream behavioral manifestations would be more conducive to a, a healthy mindset. Right. And so a lot of the stoic principles are really the, I mean, the perfect precursors to CBT cognitive behavior therapy. So I talk about all these guys and I give, you know, many, many examples of how press how, how incredibly illuminating some of those guys were. So I tell the story in the, in the book of, uh, my friend, I think many of your listeners would know him, who's also a Lebanese author, Nassim Talib, who once jokingly said to me, he go, this was maybe 10 years ago. Uh, he said, I, I don't know what you guys study in psychology, God, because everything that there is to say about human nature, the ancient Greeks have already covered it. And, you know, I laugh, haha, funny, Nassim. But then as I was doing my research for this book, I sort of stopped and I said, I think Nassim might be onto something because every single time... I thought I had a unique, brilliant, new insight. I would then go search the literature and I'd say, oh, Seneca has already said this. Oh, Epictetus has already said that. So so that covers kind of the ancient, guys.
0: But- well, let me, stop, let me stop you with Nassim Taleb. I had to double check while you were talking just to make sure. He's blocked me on Twitter. Oh, and no. The, I don't remember what I did. I don't, I don't really I, – I remember I criticized him. And now that I'm just Googling, I'm trying to find my tweet. There seems to be a lot of people who say – you get automatically blocked by Nassim Taleb if you disagree with him. So, I, I I don't want to say it's another example of, you know, some maybe maybe his his happiness results from blocking people that that irritate him. <laughs> um I don't know what I did. I, I'm sure I deserved it.
1: Uh, well, it it could well be that you had I, I'm I'm completely speculating. I have no idea, but uh, you may potentially have had different views on COVID related matters. And if you had intimated any position that might have been contrary to his, that could have uh, resulted in a block. I, I can't speculate. <laughs> I'm going to go I, find
0: it if I can. All right. But, but in
1: any case, uh, I also, so just to continue with the ancient wisdoms part of the book. Uh, so I, let me give you an, a specific example, say, from Seneca. So, and it actually speaks to Nassim Talib because Nassim Talib has a book um, uh, that introduces the term anti-fragility, right? Anti-fragile, which is basically the idea that for some for some system to be optimally functioning, it has to be exposed to stressors, because those stressors then make it less brittle and hence it's anti-fragile. But of course what Nassim did is he came up with the unique term, but the concept has existed for thousands of years. Even the co- even the, the saying, squeaky doors don't break, is exactly that, right? And it existed way before Nassim. Well, it turns out that Seneca, and I have a quote, a, an epigraph in one of the chapters where Seneca is talking about how uh, strong trees that have deep roots are those who are exposed to a lot of wind stressors. So Seneca had already explained anti-fragility several thousand years ago. Uh so now those are all Stoics. Then I talk about Aristotle uh, when I discuss, so I have a chapter in the book where I basically argue that the most fundamental law of nature, and this is a big statement to make, uh, is what I call the inverted U curve. The inverted U curve, basically, in colloquial words, is Too little of something is not good. Too much of something is not good. And Aristotle called it the golden mean. I called it find the sweet spot. And what I show in that chapter is that every conceivable thing that you could think of at the cellular level, neuronal level, individual level, economic level, societal level follows that inverted U. So, you know, alcohol consumption follows the inverted U. Fish consumption follows the inverted U. The exercise intensity with which you should exercise follows an inverted U. I give the example from my personal life of perfectionism. The trait of perfectionism follows an inverted U. How? If you're not in the least bit perfectionist, as an author, for example, your work will suffer because you don't have enough attention to details. If you are like me on the opposite end of the curve, you're too much of a perfectionist. You're a maladaptive perfectionist. You spend 4,000 hours rereading your work because God forbid there might be one comma that's out of place. Well, that's a misallocation of your time, right? So what if there was one comma out of place? I could have saved all those hours doing something else that's productive. So in that case, I am on the too much end of the curve. And so I argue that much of happiness in life is finding the sweet spot across different domains. And so I know it's a long-winded answer, but here I just gave you examples of how I use the ancient wisdoms of the Stoics and of Aristotle to situate some of the prescriptions I offer.
0: Okay. I, I, let I, me go ahead, go ahead. One question on the golden mean. It's a joke that I've made, but I actually think it, it, there might be truth to it as well. Everything in moderation. uh, Although, I have a theory that even moderation to excess itself becomes a problem. So there have to be times where you have even a violation of the rule of moderation. So don't drink too much alcohol. Or if you don't drink any alcohol, you might be, I I say might, it might have isolative uh, um, tendencies, you know, whatever, on the far end of damage. Uh, Drink the perfect amount, you're fine. Drink too much, social problems, health problems. Uh, If you're always moderate, you might be a very boring person, in which case there has to be violations of moderacy at some time as
1: well. Right. Well, the, the, I mean, your intuition is correct because I demonstrate in that chapter that even the pursuit of happiness follows the inverted U curve. What you, you understand what I mean? So, so it, it's. But I mean, that speaks. What you just said speaks to the universality of the inverted U curve, right? Even the inverted U curve should be pursued as an inverted U curve. That's that's what you're saying. Yes. I'm just gonna remove. I'm getting a pop up. I don't know why. Hold on a second. Now, um, by the way, I,
0: I found the tweet that I think got me blocked by okay. Nassim. He said, uh, I block people for straw And then I said, do you block people for Conor McGregor memes? And it was Conor McGregor saying, who the, was that guy? And uh, that might be the last tweet that I put out. And yeah, okay. But Twitter yeah. is a place where you, you might want to.
1: Yes. Uh, so then in, in terms of contemporary science, I, I mean, I cite all kinds of, re- I mean, endless amount of research to make different points. So let me give you an example. uh, uh if you have a certain budget, so as someone who studies consumer psychology, I'm very interested in how people allocate their budgets and what, you know, which strategy is most likely to yield long-term happiness, right? And so two pursuits have been pitted against each other in the research, either the uh, collecting of material possessions or the collecting of experiences and I'm sure it will not surprise a single person listening to the show that the research consistently finds that the collecting of experiences results in much, much greater, you know, bang for your buck when it comes to your downstream happiness. Right. So, to my earlier point, you know, buying another pair of uh, stiletto shoes that you know, oftentimes women will collect such things gives you that immediate rush that immediate dopamine hit but you know going to namibia on a uh, safari and then going and visiting portugal with the family as i just did with my family is a much better way to be spending your money in terms of seeking ultimate happiness so i do all kinds of literature reviews uh, of contemporary science looking at what people can do to make them happy
0: Now you talk the the interesting idea. Stoicism is sort of the original CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, which is associating new brain reactions to certain stimuli that trigger otherwise uh, negative reactions. Over oversimplified, but what do you say to the idea, and how do you respond to the idea that happiness is? almost innate, almost biological to the person, and there will be people who are just fundamentally incapable of happiness, despite the the good things that they go through, and those that are incapable of feeling sorry for themselves, despite all of the trials and tribulations that they go through.
1: Yeah, that's a fantastic question, and I address it right off the bat at the start of the book, precisely because I want to, well, deal with this really important question, because if, if someone says, look, I don't have a sunny disposition, there's no prescription you can give me that's going to solve it. Well... So let me address that. About 50% of individual differences in happiness scores is due to genes. So on the one hand that might sound oh oh it's genetically determined. No, that means there's 50% up for grabs, right? So on so imagine notwithstanding the earlier questions you asked me about how to measure happiness, believe me there have been, you know, very methodologically rigorous ways of measuring it. So you and I can fall at different starting points on the happiness continuum. I have a maybe, I don't mean literally us, but I may have a very sunny disposition. You may have a very sullen and morose disposition. Okay, fine. But notwithstanding those starting points, we could both improve our lot. So there's still 50% that we could play with. And so what I argue in the book is that there are several choice life choices that you could make and several mindsets that you can adopt that statistically speaking are much more likely to increase your ability to, to summit Mount happiness.
0: All right. Now, without getting into all of them, because you still want people to read the book, what are a few of them? I mean, I, I could think of easy ones, exercise, uh, eat well, and don't do stupid things that will necessarily <laughs> lead to unhappiness, like drunk driving,
1: uh, right.
0: but give give us a few.
1: Yeah, okay, sure. Sure. So, so let's first do some of the because I remember, I, I, I distinguished between choices that you could make versus mindsets that you could adopt. So let me discuss two choices. And I'll discuss a few of the mindsets. Choosing the right spouse, and choosing the right profession is the surest way to either impart the most amount of misery or the most amount of happiness on a person. Now you might say, but how can you know how to choose? The right spouse or the right profession. Well, there is no guarantee, but there's certainly some clear prescriptions that have been tested scientifically that can increase. Again, the book is a is a statistical argument, right? It's not. So I have the humility to to admit that it's not follow these eight rules and i guarantee you'll be happy what i can say is follow these eight rules and you have a much greater likelihood of being happy so that's that's a that's a softer statement okay so let's do choosing the right spouse in evolutionary psychology we've got two opposing maxims if you'd like in terms of how you should go about choosing a spouse there's the opposites attract maxim and then there's the birds of a feather flock together, Maxim. Well, it turns out, I'm not sure if this will surprise you or not, it turns out that for long-term happiness of a union, it is overwhelmingly and unequivocally that birds of a feather flock together as the operative mechanism. Now, the next question might be, but birds of a feather flock on which feathers? And They assort on what? Is it height? Is it eye color? It is on uh, concurring belief systems, life goals, fundamental values, right? So if I am a staunch practicing Catholic and you are a caustic atheist, notwithstanding all the love that we have between us, it's probably not going to work, okay? So choosing someone that shares your values increases the probability of success of your union astronomically. Let's do choosing the right profession. I argue that there are two ways that we can really increase the chances of us being uh, happy in our profession. And I'd be curious to know how we might link what I'm about to say to the departure that you had in your career, uh, which is, I, go ahead. Well,
0: I, I'm even for the first one, you know, choose your spouse, um, ideologically no. aligned. I look, I've had my own life experience with it. Not to say I, we've been married now it's 2007. So going on 16 years and we've been dating since 1999 to 2000. So we've, we've been together for a long time and we had an early I, not an ideological test, but rather an ideological uh, assurance that we were aligned on certain things that would materialize and how we would go about raising kids, if and when. And it's an amazing thing. I, the opposites attract, I presume, would, would make for good one-night stands. I've exactly. Beautifully full, said. And I'll would, say, full, full disclosure, I've never had one. And maybe that pleasure is really good, but my neuroses Far outweighs any pleasure I might get from that. And I've never, never had one. And I also have this theory that like too many one night stands when you're single will make for um a, you'll feel very bored if you have to settle down in what is you know expected to be married life of fidelity. But yeah, so the track, great for short term spontaneousness, but not good for raising everything that still.
1: you just said has actually been backed up by science. So the idea that if yes. you've had fewer sexual partners, you're more likely to have a happy marriage has been uh, established, the idea, I, I just failed to mention it, but you you beat me to it, opposites attract as a maxim works very well for short-term dalliances, you're right, I am sexually restrained and I am shy and introverted, you're the exact opposite, those opposites can complement each other, you bring me out of my shell, that's great, one night stand, not long-term reunion, so you're exactly right. Want me to move on to profession?
0: Yeah, well, and the profession, I think I'll be able to relate to as well. But well,
1: you're going <laughs> to like it. Get ready. So I argue, Viva, that there are... I mean, I discuss many different things, but let me just do the two main ones. Uh, a job that allows you to instantiate your creative impulse is a direct pathway to having purpose and meaning. But now I define creative impulse very broadly. So I can be a chef. I can be an architect. I could be a podcaster, I could be a professor and author, but each of those, I could be a stand-up comic, right? Each of those professions, very, very different, but they are all defined by the act of creation. I create jokes, I create content online as a podcaster, I create new plates of culinary delight as a chef. I create new structures as an architect. I create new books and theories as an author and professor. And so anything that immerses you in the creative, you know, uh, landscape is all other things equal going to, you know, give you more purpose and meaning. The second one is anything that allows you to have maximal temporal freedom in your job is also going to make you happier. So example, I work very, very hard. I'm always working, but I almost feel like I'm never working because it's always driven by how I feel. Right now, I feel like going to a cafe for four hours and working on the book prospectus for my next book. Great. Now I want to chat with Viva. Great. So I'm almost never bound short of when I'm teaching, right? When I'm teaching, I have to be in class from 7 to 10. It's set. I have to go to a departmental meeting. But that defines very little of my day-to-day. And yet I probably work more than most people. And yet I don't feel as though I'm working because I'm I'm like a vagabond. Con- contrast that at the other end of the scale to someone who has to have a union mandated time as to when they can go to the bathroom, right? They are really constrained, right? So if you can now. My, your next question might be, but what about all the people who can't do that because of practical realities? And then we could talk about that. But if you can, if you choose a profession that allows you those two things, you really are increasing your chances to be professionally happy.
0: Well, uh, and we'll we'll get to the. Um, have you seen the movie A Bronx Tale? Robert De Niro. I uh,
1: cite it in the book, man. Wake okay, you're t-
0: uh, dude, I didn't read the book yet, and I I'm know, I you know,
1: this. I'm being facetious, but okay, yeah. but-
0: and, and that's the bus driver. That, that's Robert De Niro's bus driver analogy, right? He drives the bus every day. How does he find meaning in his life when he has a tedious job like that? God, I could have written this book, I think. <laughs> okay. But before we even get into the person who has no choice, but to have a tedious job, I'll relate it to my life I, as a lawyer. Everybody says, so, you know, being a lawyer is great. You get to use your brain. You get to show how smart you are. You get to draft briefs. You get to go to court, convince judges. When you don't, like that which you're creating. It's not even as though you're not creating anything. It's as though you're it's as though you're creating something destructive. And forget the fact that you'd have to be in court at nine in the morning and it's just, you know, living by someone else's schedule. That's fine. I remember sitting in my office back at Borden Ladner Gervais. It was either early morning or late at night because I remember the sun was either rising or setting. And I'm looking at these papers on my desk and the shadows that they're casting and I'm saying, what am I creating? I'm creating nothing of value. Not Anything related to BLG as a firm, just what I believe is the practice of law. And despite the fact that it paid well, uh, you know, it's the hard, they say the easiest way to make a hard living or the hardest way to make an easy living, I forget which one it is. Uh, It was beyond empty. It was like soul crushing to do this day in and day out, despite the promises of the practice. And I learned that and then, you know, took a wild chance and it happened to have gotten very fluky lucky. But what about those who don't have that opportunity, that luxury or that um, spirit of wandering off into
1: uh, risky freedom. Right, but 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 I, I'm glad that you see the connection to you because as I was saying those two things, I said, boy, does that capture exactly Viva's trajectory from where he was to what, what he became. So let's suppose you, you don't have the capacity for whatever reason, you've got three kids, you're not willing to take any risks, you are the, the bus driver, and uh you simply can't afford to uh put to practice what i'm saying here okay well how about then you pursue those things outside of your job so for example i am a bus driver but i've always been very very interested in ceramic art i mean that's what i would have wanted to do if i had the chance but i know that my parents told me that I should get a union job. It gets the benefits. And, you know, I'm seven years from retirement. What about then when you finish your bus uh, route, your eight-hour shift, instead of going home and watching four hours of TV, why don't you sign up at the Adult Lifelong Learning Center and take, take that ceramic class? Which, by the way, leads me to the next point, which is one of the mindsets that you asked me. Tell us about some of these mindsets. So I have a chapter on life as a playground. Basically, I argue that even in my very serious academic career, when I do scientific research, I view that as the highest form of cerebral play, right? Because what is it to be a scientist? It's to solve puzzles. But instead of a 1,000-piece puzzle that you do with your 11-year-old kid, you're looking at thousands of variables and you're saying, well, let me see whether this variable actually has a causal relationship with this variable. That's an exciting puzzle to solve. And so even, for example, when I went through the Lebanese Civil War, I was desperate to engage in play. So my, my parents would tell me this is in the middle of like the most violent civil war imaginable. They would tell me when I would go out to play with my cousin outside, don't pass this particular, you know, imaginary line, because if you do, then that puts you within the eyesight of the sniper standing on top of that building and they'll blow your brain. So that's the extent to which we have a deep desire to play. Life is is Beautiful, the the movie that won the Oscar in 1997, was about a father in the the concentration camps telling his son that the whole thing that they're going through is just one make-believe game. It was a form of play. So the play instinct is everywhere. So if you can't instantiate your play and creative impulse at work, then find a way to do it outside of work. It's interesting.
0: I, I even think with the bus driver, I think I could be a truck driver, not because driving itself is so interesting, although just seeing the world is beautiful. To the extent that I could continue absorbing information, listening to podcasts, listening to audiobooks, that could make any physically tedious job tolerable. It's the ones that are psychologically tedious that you can never make tolerable. So uh so because can you- I just- Sorry, finish your point. Go for it. No, no, that was it. The the, the difference between physically tedious, you can still get the intellectual stimulation. Intellectually or psychologically tedious, there's no saving from that.
1: Perfectly stated. Uh, Just one point, one comment about the bus driver. And then I want to, since you you mentioned Bronx Tale, I want to talk about how I discussed the Bronx Tale in the book. So uh, I once was coming, I can't remember if I was coming from New York City or from, I think it was from Albany. Uh, So I did my PhD at Cornell, which is in Ithaca, New York. So it's a couple of hours away. It's in central New York. And so I was taking a bus back uh, from, I think it was Albany, back to Ithaca, New York, where Cornell is. And uh, I sat next to the bus driver, who it's a several hour ride. And we... We're engaged in this incredibly deep and personal and intimate conversation and i remember at the end when i got off a lady came up and said I-, I have to tell you i was so moved by the way you two were you know interacting with each other now contrast that situation in with other cases where i've tried to engage another driver who was very sullen and was not willing to have a conversation with me well that speaks exactly to your point about you being a, a truck di- driver and then stimulating your mind the former driver did not see his job as just going from a to b he saw it as an opportunity also to connect with people in a very meaningful way and so that bus driver actually has a potentially meaningful job because he's open to the world okay so that's story one can you guess in any way how i might have used the bronx tale in the context of the choosing the right spouse? Anything comes from comes me. I don't see me on the spot.
0: Okay, I'm trying to think. Well, th- there's the two lasting lessons from the Bronx Tale that I remember is when Chaz Terry locks the door after all the bikes come in. Oh,
1: <laughs> we have <laughs> a says, winner, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, now you can't get out. And then the look on all their faces. No, no, now You're mixing them up. Now you can't get out is in the bar. It's not the, I thought you meant the locking of the car door. Oh, no, the, no, 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 no. No, 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 I meant locking of the bar. Okay. Uh, what was the no, so we don't bar? have a winner. We have a Damn loser. It. Damn it. Go. I was so happy for a second. Damn no, because that right, story so... is not mating related, right? No. Do you remember, remember that, when there, that there was
0: a, there was a right. racial component where the young kid was dating a black girl, and that was the issue among the Italian community. But uh that they were having like a... he
1: tells him about whether how how to establish whether that girl is worthy of his affections or not. You don't remember? Oh,
0: son of a gun! I'm gonna remember it in about two oh, seconds.
1: I'm sorry, but if you were in my course right now, I'm giving you a D minus, and I'm not even grading the curve. I think and I I'm would just you. Her. They're in the car. They get in the car.
0: She it's leaning over to unlock the door. Yes, but hold on. I got, okay, refresh my memory. I remember it okay. vaguely.
1: So the so what he tells her. So for for those of you who are not. 45 and older like <laughs> oh and uh, hold
0: on again spoiler alert people we're gonna ruin a sale for you <laughs> like, yes.
1: by the way one of the all-time greatest movies it's on it's, my it's, top it's, 10 it's a great movie it's unbelievable okay and, and the music by the way the t- soundtrack is unbelievable but anyways uh Chaz Palminteri who plays the the local you know mob leader takes as as a pr- protege this young kid uh Robert De Niro plays the straight lace bus driver that uh viva was talking earlier about so the the young kid is is about to date this girl and chas Palmenteri tells him here's what you're going to do to decide if she's a good girl or not what you're going to do is you're going to when you get into the car you're going to open the door for her she's going to get in and then you're going to come around the car and you're going to wait to see, remember, the, the reason yeah, why- that, it,
0: it all came back. Yeah, I, yeah. And he looked through the back mirror. She, uh, right? Like, yes. Because yeah. remember,
1: there's no automatic doors in these old cars in the 60s, right? So you have to physically open the, the the lock of the door. Now, if she goes over and opens it for you, she's a considerate person. And therefore, you've got a good girl. If she doesn't, I remember he said something very colorful, she, you know, She's a pig, run away and don't look back or something to that effect. Now, I tell that story in the context of saying that, look, when you date someone, there are these really important cues that we often are blind to because we're driven by lust, because we're driven driven by all the things that don't matter for long-term stability. And then I describe a a situation with how I met my wife that's very similar to that door test. So when I met my wife, I was giving some Uh, executive education classes at a company, and she happened to be one of the executives. And around the third uh, lecture, I think I gave six different classes every Saturday, a different topic, you know, psychology of decision making consumer psychology, advertising, whatever. And around the third class, uh, I had i was stricken with a really bad bout of bronchitis so these were like i think three hour classes so it's it's very hard when you're coughing like a monster to be lecturing for three hours and so at one point i had called for a break everybody go to the bathroom go get food whatever and you know i'm sitting there coughing like a maniac so my wife to be my eventual wife goes down to whatever some store And then comes back with a T for me and says, you know, this is for you, professor, I noticed that you were like gasping for air. And, and I thought, oh boy, she's something right. I I, I mean, she's a very, I mean, I think, well, not, I think you've met her. She's a very beautiful woman (laughs) and so on, but that's not what I was thinking about. There I was like, oh, that's, it's so considerate. it's so lovely. It's so kind. She, She might be something there, but you know, I'm very professorial then, even though it wasn't in the context of the class. There were no ethical issues this is outside the classroom but i did pick up that she was kind and so the moral of the story here is when you're dating someone don't just focus on how beautiful they are on the outside look at some of these micro cues
0: and i was gonna i was gonna make the joke uh, uh, another key to happiness don't comment on the attractiveness or unattractiveness of other people's spouses. that's a sure <laughs> way to avoid um that is true. okay that's is, that it's fantastic now was it in the was it in the podcast with Rogan or am I am I mixing up podcasts now? In terms of getting to know someone, like how you actually get to know the short term versus the long term aspects of a character personality to know if there's going to be long term compatibility with that person.
1: Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think I specifically answered that question on Rogan's, but, but I'm happy to answer it if you like.
0: Yeah, yeah give us the insights of this. I well, think this, yeah,
1: valuable. So the the research and. In- you know, one of the fundamental things that you study in evolutionary psychology is human mating preferences. And then one of the things that you differentiate when you're studying human mating preferences it are the types of attributes that men and women look for as a function of whether they're looking for a long-term or short-term mate. The idea is that in many cases, that which I find very attractive in a short-term mate, I find abhorrent in a long-term mate. You seem to be distracted. Are, are we good or is there like a fire in the hotel or what's Come happening?
0: Here. The, the kid's microwaving. <laughs> We're in a hotel. He's microwaving macaroni and cheese that we have left over from last night. So he's got to make sure it doesn't, doesn't do it for like five minutes.
1: Okay, no problem. He's good. Uh, okay, sorry. For
0: 30 seconds. Shh, shh. Okay. Okay, sorry, guys. I mean, 30 seconds. Okay, will you be quiet? We got you. Okay, quiet. Okay.
1: That, yes. that, that's part of the charm of the Viva show. As part
0: uh, of, well, God, I, the dogs haven't distracted us yet. I, I know there's poop somewhere in this hotel room. I just haven't not, found you it you yet. Okay, quiet. You quiet. Okay. Sorry, guys.
1: Please. Yeah. So, so uh, I may I may find it very desirable for a woman to be, to put it in fancy terms, sexually unrestrained as a short-term mate. I might find that abhorrent in a long-term mate, right? And so the temporal context of the relationship is really important when you're talking about mating preferences. Now, some attributes are important irrespective of uh, context, uh, temporal context. But in many cases, that which I find attractive in one context is exactly what I don't find attractive in the other. So example, uh, the height of a man is important but it even is more important when a woman is shopping for good jeans, but it takes on lesser value when she's looking for the full package for a long-term mate, right? Both you and I are not tall men, but hopefully we compensate for those shortcomings with other qualities that we can compensate with, whether it be intelligence, whether it be looks, whether it be charm, whether it be you know creativity, whatever it is, right? So in any case, uh so I do so I don't necessarily get into a deep dive into the short-term long-term mating issues in this book, but but you're exactly right that that's a fundamental feature of human mating.
0: I think the podcast that I might have heard it on, you know who David Buss is? Are you familiar with him? With his work, you mean
1: David Va- David Bus, who wrote the preface to this book, Consuming Instinct. Oh, yeah, I, look, I, pre- <laughs> no, I don't know who he is.
0: <laughs> I uh, well, I just I, that was the podcast I was listening to where he was talking about to yeah. some extent evolutionary,
1: you know, so there, tendencies. So oh, he is literally the guy. So uh, the stuff that I just said, he's the pioneer of that stuff. So it's called sexual strategies theory. It's work that he's done with one of his. Former doctoral students David Schmidt and so all this long-term, short-term dynamics in terms of how we choose our mates. I mean, he's not the only one to have done that, but he's certainly a pioneer of that field. So you're exactly right. It, it must yeah, have very been a cool. Bus.
0: Um Now, uh, without getting to the punchline or the crux, I mean, how, how does the book end? And uh, what do you? I have other questions, so we're sure. not ending it on this. How does the book end? And what's the next step of your uh, of your career?
1: Right. Well, so so I go through all those eight secrets right and at the last chapter where i'm kind of bringing it all home i actually discussed two stories i mean real real cases and you know we're a storytelling animal right so oftentimes we learn best by hearing captivating stories and so i try to also do that in the book demonstrating some phenomenon or some uh concept by highlighting it with a vivid case study so I'll adapt, so in the in the last chapter, I want to demonstrate that it's really important to always contextualize your lot in life to where it could be, and that 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 then affords you the possibility to actually be grateful for what you have. So the two stories are the following. Story one, David McCallum. He's a guy who came on my show, and I've repeatedly said that he's arguably one of the most remarkable guys I've had on my show. And that's saying a lot because i've had a lot of incredibly accomplished brilliant fa- fascinating people on the show david mccallum was arrested at the age of 17 uh, and accused and convicted of a murder he then spent the next 29 years in prison and eventually exonerated so he comes out comes on my show he's now in his you know 46 47 48 and we're having a chat and as we're chatting viva i look at him you can go watch the the chat on my channel uh i look at him and i say something to the effect of you know you must be the the reincarnation of buddha because your ability to respond to what's been thrown at you in life with such grace without any sense of vengefulness without any sense of you know existential retribution is is unbelievable i mean you're a much better man than i am because i would want to burn the world down i would be so angry And then his answer speaks to the issue of gratitude. He said, well, you know, I have a sister who has cerebral palsy and she's been bed-stricken for much of her life and yet she still finds a way to, to be happy and to smile. So from that perspective, whatever I went through is not such a big deal. So imagine that even... I mean, what there are very, very few things that we could ever complain about and that can bring us down more than having 30 years of your life stolen from you.
0: I, I, mean, I, I said it uh, like last week, I forget the exact context, but have, you know, it was it was about wrongfully convicted or at least wrongfully detained, the Coots for out of Canada, that having time stolen is the most egregious of theft, which includes like having a life stolen because it's not something you can ever get back by way of compensation. Money, house, cars, everything that's material can be compensated, loss of time, uh, you can you can throw money at it, but you never get it back,
1: period. Exactly. Um, and and yet, I, sorry, and then he found and yet he found a way to be graceful and kind and accepting, and so on. So that's number one. Number two, this guy called Bijan uh, Gilani. I'm trying to remember his last name, I think that's what it was. It's a guy that I met through the, the, the you know the magic of happenstance, the serendipity of life. I was sitting at a cafe. This is I was a professor at University of California, Irvine. I was working on some paper, and I had a whole bunch of books, you know, all over my uh, table at a cafe. And he comes over to me. I never met the guy, and he says, "Oh, you, you look like you have some really interesting books here. You know, what do you do?" So on. So we start talking. Oh, I'm a professor. Blah blah blah. He tells me that I'm a. He's speaking now. I'm a doctoral student at UC Irvine, University of California Irvine. I'm studying the homeless, and so he immersed himself in the homeless community there's a there's a reason i'm telling all these details he came from a wealthy family several years later through various reasons he ended up himself the irony and tragedy of life of becoming homeless and so fast forward 10 years he was tracked in a by some reporters who did a expose on him where they were talking about his life story. Here's a guy who finished a PhD. He was studying the homeless. He became homeless, lost all his money. He was living out of his car. And so they asked him, Viva, you know, are you happy? Are you sad? You know, what, what's he goes, what do I have to be sad about? I've got a card so I can use the, the gym that allows me to keep a healthy body to your earlier point about Mm -hmm. eating well and so on. And I've got, a library card to the newport beach library where i can go and nourish my mind i've got nothing to be unhappy about a guy is living in his car he's homeless yet he still found a way to celebrate the magic of life and so i think that's how i end the book which is you know these powerful stories of you know no matter how bad your life is you know just be grateful for the fact that you exist life is beautiful live every moment like it's your last
0: I don't know if you saw on Rogan as well, this guy, Bruce Bryan, who I thought you were talking about when you're talking about a guy who was wrongfully convicted in jail for 29 years and comes out. I don't know if there's lingering or suppressed resentment and anger, but sounds um, more reasonable, rational than you can ever imagine. He says, you know, the situation can either make you better. Sorry, he said it it can either make you bitter or better, or you can either you can take the situation and let it make you bitter or better. And he says, I'm in jail. I let it make me better. I got degrees. I read. I found purpose. I helped others. And- That's
1: stoicism, by the way. That's the fundamental feature, right? The event happens. How you react to it is what determines, which is CBT, right? So that story is exactly what the Stoics taught us thousands of years ago.
0: I'll ask you my own personal question right before we end. But sure. b- And I know... I'm not going to ask you to criticize your publisher. You did an audiobook and they did not let you do it in your own voice, which I will go out and criticize any publisher who says it's not that you have a great voice. You have a distinctive voice and it's pretty good. But you it's inconceivable. Imagine the guy from Princess Bride making an audiobook and they say, yeah, we're going to let, uh, I don't know, Brad Pitt narrate your book and not you with your patented trademark lisp. The idea that it, the book would be read in anyone else's voice other than yours is shocking. And it's a strategic mistake for any publisher, whoever thinks about doing that again in the future. You don't need to say anything, Gad. You don't want to burn bridges with your publisher. <laughs> um, in, our, in our locals community, we've got two tip questions. Uh, Pam Walker says, I will buy your book, Gad. Do you have any quick recommendations for a person that lives with constant pain and fatigue that completely destroys my ability to engage in more than the smallest things? We'll go with stoicism, it, it, but what do you have for, what do you have for advice? Well, it's, for?
1: it's difficult to offer, you know, concrete. That's one of the things of having epistemic humility. I don't want to offer BS prescriptions. I would have to know a lot more about what the source of your pain is and so on. Uh, so I I really, it's not that I'd rather not answer it than give you some facile BS answer that pretends as though I know what I'm talking about. I'd have to know a lot more about your case in order to offer you some, some help.
0: All right, And there's another question from Tamper that says, has Dr. Sad interviewed any people diagnosed with Williams syndrome? Dr. Sad, and I don't know if you're familiar no. with it. I'm just Googling it. It says, Williams syndrome is characterized by developmental delay, intellectual disability, usually mild, a specific cognitive profile, unique personality characteristics, cardiovascular disease, connective tissue. It actually sounds a little bit like, um, uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Down syndrome, a little bit. I'll look into that. I haven't never no, heard of that. I, I've
1: never interviewed someone, no.
0: Um, all right now the question is this what do you do next I mean it, w- what what is left for for you to do you're gonna <laughs> look in already to write another book oh sorry yeah. before that what goes into writing a book for those who don't know how long oh did this take God. you what a great how much question. how much do you obsess over saying how do I know when it's done how do you know when it's done
1: yeah it's it, it you know it really is a a mystical journey to write a book you know when you write academic papers scientific papers the content of the paper changes, but the template is always the same, right? There is the introduction to the problem. There is the literature review. There is the positing of the hypothesis, hypotheses. There's the methodology that you use to collect the data. There's the data analysis, and then there's the conclusion. So that structure, whether it's a chemistry paper or psychology paper or whatever, is always the same. When you write a book, not only is the content not clear, but the template is not clear, right? You, th- There are many things that I ended up writing about that came up organically that I hadn't thought that I would be writing about when I first pitched the idea of the book. What you absolutely need to have is a general structure of what the general roadmap is. This is the main topic of my book. Here are, I think, the eight points that I'd like to make. And therefore, this is how the chapters are going to be broken. So you basically have kind of imagine how you were taught in English class how to create a table of contents with Greco-Roman numerals and subsection ABC. And then the, the writing of the book becomes filling in those sections. Okay. But even then, as you said, you really never know, you know, should I write more? Should I not? So, for example, for the parasitic mind, when I f- my first draft that I submitted was I think 93,000 words. And then the only feedback that I got from my publisher was you need to cut about 20-something thousand words. And so imagine now how hard it is when you've toiled over every syllable of this book to now go and chop 23,000 words from your book right so it's very hard so there is no singular strategy what i tell you what it does require which is something that i talk about in the happiness book it requires resistance uh, resilience grit persistence so every single day no matter how tired i was no matter if i was if i had a headache or not no it doesn't matter if i was teaching that night or not i would have to write at least for example 500 words no matter what because if not I could never meet the deadline set by the publisher. You know, when you get an advance, especially if it's a sizable advance, the publisher really wants you to meet certain. It's not like, oh, you know, just submit it whenever you feel like it, Professor Satt. And so if you agree contractually to submit it by day X, you better submit it by day X. And so it requires a lot of persistence, doggedness to, to get the words out.
0: Uh, Andrew skinson who had a few interesting chats said the happiest people I know are poor devoutly religious simpletons who do instead of think fact what do you say about that I mean let's let's in a non-judgmental way a lot of people say a lot of today's malaise unhappiness comes from the luxury of not having to fight for your existence anymore
1: right so i talk in the book about different correlates to happiness how does personality affect happiness how does culture affect happiness how does political orientation affect happiness but to this gentleman's question uh, i do have a section on religiosity and happiness and the research shows that there is a moderate positive correlation between uh religiosity and happiness meaning the more religious i am the happier i am now there, there could be very earthly reasons for that right it doesn't have to be couched in a supernatural na- narrative uh being religious provides me purpose and meaning it creates communality it creates cohesion it it creates a uh, greater likelihood of cooperation within the in-group so there are all sorts of very earthly reasons why my being religious might end up making me uh, feel happier but that said, I right away after I describe that research, because I want people who are not religious to also feel that you know they're not doomed to uh, unhappiness because you know they're not they're not religious, because I argue that you know the 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 I to identify the divine, to identify spiritual experiences does not require that we be religious in the least bit, right? So when I had that impromptu conversation with the bus driver coming back from albany or wherever i was coming from that itself was a spiritual experience it was an impromptu thing that happened where two strangers were able to have this very intimate interaction uh when i go to portugal with my family and we even bond more than we ever have in the past that's a spiritual experience the love that i have for my belgian shepherds is a manifestation of the divine so there are many ways by which we can have spiritual experiences and awe-inspiring experiences without necessarily believing in a supernatural narrative
0: and not to get back to the greeks but there is a difference between being religious and being hedonistic there is a middle ground where you can sort of be spiritual or at least think there's more to this without it having to be the some sort of embodiment of a, of a literal god yeah Gad, m- one question here It's a super chat from Pasha moyer it sounds like your theory of profession fits in well with the peter principle do you have any thoughts about that i was trying to google the peter principle but
1: isn't the uh, see, Peter Principle you you keep working up to the level of your incompetence or something to that effect?
0: The Peter Principle is a concept in management developed by Lawrence Peter, which observes that people in a hierarchy tend to rise to a, quote a level of respective incompetence. I guess promoter- that
1: exactly that. <laughs>
0: uh, I don't know what the, I've never heard. I'm going to look that up because I like. I, I don't
1: see how that's the same. I mean, I'm I'm talking. Uh, it has got nothing. I can't. It's got nothing to do with what I said. <laughs> Now
0: I'll ask you, I, I know you have to go somewhere cause you got something else after this. I'm going to ask you my question, which sure. is my struggle with happiness. And it's not a question of, of feigning anything. And it's not a question of being fundamentally unhappy. My struggle with happiness is on the one hand, guilt for feeling happy and also just the general fear that it'll get worse or it'll get bad. Or I guess it, it is on the one hand a fear for it getting worse for myself and also the shame or, uh, the feeling that it's wrong to feel happy when you know that others are not. And then the sort of the guilt shame in thinking that you're happy and somehow entitled to it. So how do you, how do you resolve those? Well, two I, I,
1: I don't know. I mean, I, un- I understand the pen, but it, it seems very sort of Christian self-flagellation to, I mean, why would the, f- so then I shouldn't have a house because there are, people who are homeless. I shouldn't have children because there are infertile people. I shouldn't have sex with my wife because there are people who are unable to find a mate. So why don't I just go buy a gun and blow my brain that, that way I can avoid guilt. That can't be a healthy way to live life, Eva.
0: Well, nobody said it was healthy. The question is, how do you, how do you you get over it? Or how does one cope with it? You have a
1: right, you have Right you are not trampling on the rights of other in seeking your existential happiness if you did that then i would say wait a minute let's let's explore how you walking over the homeless guy gives you orgiastic existential happiness but you have a right to the dignity of your happiness you you're entitled to that right you, you're not trampling over other people's rights to do it so i would say to you get over that sense of guilt you have a right to your happiness
0: All right. Get over the guilt. How do you get over the anxiety? I'm very familiar with cognitive behavioral therapy. How does one get over the anxiety that as that is one of my earliest memories bursting into tears because I realized that one day I was going to die. And all of this, I was sitting in the bathtub with my brother and it was so happy. And I was, and I looked in the mirror and I caught the gaze. I was like, one day, this is all going to be over for an eternity. How does one get over the continual angst that it ends one day yes, and it wow, ends but, for an eternity.
1: You, well, that, that in a sense, speaks to our... Just a few moments ago, we spoke about religion. That's why religion, in a sense, makes you happy. Well, not in a sense. That's why it does make you happy because religion offer, offers you the, quote, solution to the most fundamental existential problem we face, which is recognition of our mortality. As far as we know, no other animal operates with that angst, right? So most animals have a fight or flight mechanism. So Robert Sapolsky wrote a very famous book called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. What is he arguing there? He's basically saying the zebra doesn't go around saying my life sucks. I'm surrounded by all sorts of really nasty predators. Here I am grazing nicely with my little uh, calf. But in any moment now I could be torn apart by a bunch of lions. It just goes about happily about its life. And then if the lions come, it tries to outrun them. If it does, it lives another day. If it doesn't, well, it makes for a good meal. Whereas unfortunately, because of this prefrontal cortex, we have the angst that you mentioned. So, uh, So in a sense, religion does offer you a solution because certainly the Abrahamic religions, many of them offer you, uh, you know, the eternal life after. And so now the other way that you could solve that is and this is not going to satisfy you, Viva, is that (laughs) I can be immortal. And I have actually written an article on this and I do discuss it in the book very briefly in the happiness book. I can be immortal, not literally in the way you'd like, but I can be immortal in two ways through genetic immortality, by having children, when I have children, I am literally becoming immortal in that half of my genes are being propagated via those vehicles called my children, right? The second way that I can be immortal, Viva, which speaks to my earlier point about instantiating your creative impulse, right? My ideas, my thoughts, the the content of this conversation, the books that I've written, are my pathway to mimetic immortality, right? By creating knowledge, by creating things that hopefully people will consume, I am, quote, infecting their brains with my ideas and therefore my ideas live on. So there is a way for me to be immortal, but unfortunately we haven't found the literal way for us to have the party last forever.
0: Well, Elon is working on it, I'm sure. Okay, Gan, I'm I'm not going to hold you much uh, longer at all. First of all, thank you very much, Thank you so much. Uh, so I, I like talking too. I feel a little bit more relaxed right now. I don't know what it is. It's your voice. If I listen to the book in your voice, I feel even more relaxed. <laughs> you,
1: can I? Before I let you go, thank you. Those are very, very <laughs> lovely words. Yesterday, I was sitting with a gentleman who who hosted me for one of the shows. He invited me to lunch, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to be tooting my own horn, but I, I thought it was so touching. To to your point about you feeling, he looked at me. He goes, "You know, I just had to have lunch with you." because I don't know I just really like you. You know what I think it is Viva? I think it's maybe because I have a smiley face. Notwithstanding that people think oh I can be ordinary on social media and combative and I go after someone honey badger, I really am a happy a, a happy assassin warrior. How about that? <laughs>
0: happy assassin warrior. Aha. Uh-huh. Oh oh if you could find a K at the end of that you'd have a hawk. Um and <laughs> but you know now, now I just thought of a K at the end of that that we probably don't want at the end of that hawk. Gad, right. thank you. Uh, we did not meet up over the summer, unfortunately, in Montreal time. And the next time we're gonna do it, it's gonna have to be Florida time. So you have a place to stay whenever you want to come down. From
1: your lips to God's ear. So good to talk to you. You're always such fun. Thank you very much. Go enjoy the day. Cheers. Take care. Right. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. Everyone else out there, we're not gonna end just yet. Although now, son, you can come and say hi to the world. We're gonna go over to Rumble. Um, I'm gonna end this on YouTube. Come over to Rumble, people, because I'm gonna try to do a, a few things and then hope. That Jason Levine, who is in court now in Lethbridge, Alberta, covering the coots for, can make it in. Um, apparently, he had his phone taken away from him because there's no more live tweeting at court. So hold on. Here's the link to Rumble. I'm going to end this on YouTube. Come on over to Rumble. We're going to continue this on for a bit until, until someone in the room loses their temper. Okay, ending on YouTube. Three, two, one, now. And there were two super, there were rumble rants. There were two rumble rants, which I forgot to get to. Hold on. I can come come say hi. Come show them what you got. Get over here. It's very hot in here. I had to turn off the air conditioning in this room so that it wouldn't make too much noise. Share. We all get to live with Gad for a few more minutes here. Fiona is my B I T C H. There's a child in the room. Says checking since I can't super chat on another live feed. You're good, Fiona. And I don't know if that's from the movie Euro Trip. Fiona! What's up? Come show the slingshot that we got. Come here. <laughs> okay, give me five more minutes. Um, all right, and we got love your interviews, heart Canada. So let me see if Jason Levine can get in to give us a little update on the coots. I'm gonna play one video um, in a second. Hold on, just see if Jason's here. I'm gonna I'm gonna DM him. Uh, can you pop in now? Question mark. Hold on one second. We got a slingshot today. You want to show the slingshot? Give me the slingshot. Let me show them. Yes, you can. We got a slingshot. And I've, I've, a slingshot is a dangerous thing to get a kid. I figured out exactly what a kid can shoot with a slingshot. It would be very, very hard to hurt somebody. Wet toilet paper. Oh, all right. Now, hold on. We're going to, we're going to go over to rumble. We got the end. $4 tips is beautiful. I love heart. Dr. Gad sad and Viva fry. Thank you very much. Uh, you all right. Um. By the way, tonight, tonight I'm going to be on Timcast. Um. This was something that was sort of like short notice planning. It just happened to work out timing wise. Cause we're driving through. I said, Hey, eh. driving from Montreal to Florida. I, pa- I could pass through virginia it's really not the, i don't know what state it's even in but pass through the tri-state area and we're gonna do it so tonight is going to be fantastic um you want to come we'll get the slingshot and show them okay hi. Here, here. he says hi what did we do today that's what we did today okay oh oh he's got the slingshot uh while he brings the slingshot we'll see what what the news is of the day the thing is we're going to talk about the news tonight so i don't want to talk about it too much today we were out on the Potomac River this morning catching crayfish. Show, 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 show. Oh, he's going to show you. I want to shoot your computer. Okay. Uh, he's going he's gonna to see if he can shoot the computer with the slingshot. Uh, what's the latest news of the day, people? Let me just see if Jason's going to be able to make it. it and go for it. Go for it. Not too hard. Not too hard. Go. Yeah? <laughs> that was too hard. <laughs> All right. If J- I hope Jason... I'm going to try to... Um, just go through a few stories until... Uh, so, Okay, on TimCast tonight, I said as a joke in a tweet, it would be a shame if someone asks a question about that uh, member of provincial parliament uh, who lied about being the victim of a fake hate crime at a protest in Ottawa. I'm gonna go for it. I don't know how they control the subject matter or what we're going to talk about tonight. I think it's gonna, you know, obviously going to involve Hunter Biden. It's going to involve Hunter Biden plea deal. It's going to involve the new charges against Donald Trump. It's going to involve a world that's gone bat shiat crazy um, But I said I'm going to have to make uh, a time. Make uh, I'll, I'll elect a segment on all of the Canadian injustices that are currently going on right now. I had on Tamara Leach uh, earlier this week. She talking about her new book, Hold the Line, which apparently is a statement that is tantamount to mischief in Canada. <laughs> get, get, get out of here. Tantamount to mischief in Canada. Uh, we got the Coots Four, who are now uh, having hearings all week about an attempt to, I, I think, uh, disclose or unseal information which might reveal egregious pro- uh, uh, prosecutorial misconduct. Oh, and um, what are the other ones that are going on there? Sheila Lewis, who. Seemingly resolved her dispute with Alberta Health Services after having been taken off the organ donor list because of her refusal unwillingness to get the COVID jab. Can I shoot you with it? No. Um, So that's it. Now let's see. I don't know. Jason Levine, I think is in is in. He's in court, and they're no longer allowing him to do live tweets. So. I want. I want to make my stick sharper. Okay, so go, 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 go. Can I do it? Yeah. With yeah, yeah, go, go, get out of here. Yay! <sighs> all right, and I don't. So, okay, I think that's it. So if, if, if we'll give it another five minutes, let's take some questions in the chat. Uh, let's take some questions in the chat. Hey, everyone, get in there with some questions. Ludy says, "I miss having a kid that age, nine are, nine, oh, Oh I guess that might mean mine are all grown up. Okay. Put it back in the thing there. In the bag. Look, having kids is a, it's a, it's a great distraction. Who, who was I listening to? Talk about life with kids, and basically saying you have your head in it's no longer in one place. It's no longer in your place. You got your head in five or however many kids you have, different places. You are now worrying about three other humans, day in and day out, endlessly. And it's like your brain is being torn in three, four, five different directions, which I believe accounts for why parents have terrible, um, terrible memory. Question, what are you going to eat for dinner? This is from Isler's. Um What am I going to eat for dinner? I don't know. I I had a big breakfast. The food, Eating food on the road is so impossible to eat decent food. Last night we had a good dinner, just a piece of meat and salad. Uh, okay, d- d- let me just say, I don't want to read any chats that are bad here. Randy Hillier is in court today. Oh, speaking of Canadian injustices, Randy Hillier, a sitting member of provincial parliament, arrested on mischief charges and alleged assault on a police officer. Let's see if I can find the tweet. Randy Hillier, Viva Fry tweet assault. Randy Hillier was a, a you know a, a arrested on assault on a police officer. A very serious charge. And I think I found the video that was, ow. I think I found the video that was the evidence of the alleged assault on a police officer. Let me see if I can't find it right now. Spoiler alert, it's grade A bullplop. Is this the video? No, that's Randy Hillier talking about it. The video of his alleged assault on a police officer was him moving a barricade and um, allowing for protesters to go up to parliament to protest moving the barricade was allegedly the assault on the officer. I don't know if the barricade hit the officer or if the officer claims it did. Talking about Canadian inju- talking about Canadian injustices and serious charges. Imagine charging a sitting member of provincial parliament with assault on a police officer and then releasing that sitting member of provincial parliament with all sorts of bail restrictions that prohibit him, preclude him from openly discussing political matter on social media. This is Canada, people. And most people, too many people don't know about it. A lot of people in Canada know about it and don't care about it. Let me see if I I really want to find the tweet. Hold on a second. Not the tweet, but the video. Uh, Assault. Let's do a video here. I'll see if I can get uh, Randy Hillier turning himself in. That's the video that I already saw. Oh, here we go. I think I found it. Please let the video... Ugh, I'm not gonna be able to find it I won't be able to find it in time um so let's see any more in the chat Randy Killers in court so that, that's uncle Nick, Uncle Kenny letting us uh, reminding us of the alleged injustices going on in the alleged the outright injustices going on in Canada political persecutions it, Tamara leach still has restrictions on her bail say it again I'm on the yeah I'm almost done the stream Oh, well, okay. TS Money says get you. I've had James Top on multiple times. We had him as he was up, you know, doing updates as he was marching across Canada. Uh, Let's see what they were. Oh, they were demanding he resign his seat. Of course, the process is the punishment. Oh, sorry. Who said that? Uh, Honor 234. Zinc and Ivy. Says Viva equals can you practice being joyful in your blessings? I is that what I am? (sighs) I know what my problems are. It's anxiety, it's fear of the uncontrollable, or fear of which that I cannot control. I'm very bad at the serenity prayer. I've got a kid now who's carving. Like we're we're gonna go down back down to the Potomac River. I already opened it, then I shut it. So you can We're gonna go down to the Potomac River and we're gonna go hunt for dinner. Who said what's for dinner? You know what's gonna be for dinner? A bass a from the fish, Potomac girl. River. Okay, continue with this. It's very sharp. It's very sharp. I can't. Okay, we're going to go spearfish <laughs> down at the Potomac. Um, Real Fringe says catch a fish. I, we can't. I, I, we went down. We actually bought worms, and then we went down, and I felt guilty, so we released some of the worms and then fed some fish with some of the worms. Please have Tony Heller on for the climate scam. Hey, Tony Heller. I don't know who Tony Heller is. Um. So that's it. Now I just I'm trying to uh, look, people, I'm trying to actually kill the time until we can get Jason Levine on for an update. So let's just see if I'll take some hey, locals. Let's take I'm gonna what real time people were in locals. I'm gonna go to the chat there and see if I can't see any questions from chat in locals. Viva Barnes Spinnaker says, Is Gad Sad the guy behind the Twitter competitor? gad the one barnes doesn't like just kidding no natalie mcclendon says climate boiling it's flipping hot here today i had a joke i was going to tweet it out but i don't want to i don't want to you know get called out as being that guy but i was like my goodness it's really hot today if only we had paid more in carbon taxes none of this would be happening um The the funny thing is the climate debate, it's sort of why I'm inclined to, you know, agree with RFK Jr.'s perspective or at least position on this. He might believe things that I don't believe, but we all agree that pollution is bad, that we shouldn't pollute, period. Went down to the Potomac River today. We picked up garbage. Why? Because it's better off that garbage not be there. Fishing line in water is very irritating to me because I know it gets caught in seagulls, feet, birds. And if I see fishing line, I take it. And plastic bottles just because. But the idea is pollution is bad. Um, that being said, if only we had been paying Trudeau government more in carbon taxes, none of this would be happening. The the irony, pollution is bad. If we believe pollution is bad, if we even uh, subscribe to the belief that carbon emissions are the ultimate pollutant that are causing global warming. Oh, you know what you should do? You should shut down the economy in Canada that uh, accounts for 1.5% of all global emissions and not be hard on China. Hmm, That makes a lot of sense. Pasha Moyer says, "Viva! It's so fun to see E taking advantage of the trip and the experience he is having. Go E! Well, he on the, before we left, thank he you. he found there's poo. I said thank you. Oh, before we left, we found my my um a little pouch that I had of all of my old camping knives. Can I have the cricket? No, no, give me the cricket. I'm going to show you the my favorite camping knife that I ever had. Oh, it's in my pocket. Never mind, it's right here. Let me just make sure I can see this. So." I've got this, it's called the Spyderco Cricket, and it's the most beautiful little pocket knife. You know, it's got the thing that you open it with your thumb, it locks, it's got a beautiful blade. I once broke this knife, and I sent it back to Spyderco to fix. This is like 25 years ago, and it, the, the knife disappeared. This is back in the day, I don't know, I guess we had tracking. The knife disappeared, and I was like, oh, crap, my favorite knife is gone. Six months later, the knife shows up at my door, and it went to... An address in CA, California, instead of an address in CA, Canada, and I got the knife back after all that time, and I've I've still had it. It's just it's just the most beautiful little pocket knife, ever. Oh, we got Army Brat, nineteen sixty nine. Says I too worry about possibilities of everything. Not think I'm negative, but instead prepared. Put it away, and don't do it onto the, the, the couch because you'll break it. Um. So now I'm just I'm, I'm oh, I don't okay. Let's see here. Viva, we start camping Thanksgiving weekend through March. Bring drone, Natalie McClendon. Then we got Satoshi Ape. Oh, Satoshi Ape says CO2 is no more pollutant than H2O. Satoshi, at the risk of having this taken down from YouTube whenever I put it back up there, um, it's it's so preposterous. The idea that, um, uh, not phytoplankton, algae and... Trees consume CO2 to therefore emit oxygen. It, there's, a, it, it, there's a lot of things which have become the, the 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 new religion of the day. When when people say I don't believe in religion and you know I'm I'm atheist and therefore what I have found is people have replaced they've replaced religion with government and they've replaced God with political leaders because people have religious tendencies of thought of behavior. And if it doesn't materialize with actual historical religion, it's going to materialize with cup co- with with cults or with other equally um, uh, harmful behavior. Good grief 2008 says, good thing you didn't fly, a knife would be confiscated. No, no, for sure, dude. That's that's one of the reasons why they stayed in Canada because you know we, we fly in and out, but we drove down this time so I was able to bring my old trusty camping knives and we picked we were in uh, a shop here in, in, in uh, what's the place where we're at? It, it, we were in Harper's Ferry and we were going to buy a pocket knife. I'm not buying a made in China pocket knife. So we found an Oppanel pocket knife made in France. I'm not sure how how good they are anymore, but whatever. At least we uh, we found it. <sighs> what else? Chat. Let's go to let's go to Rumble here. Nancy Spence. Well, there was a tip, but there was no comment with it. Viva. Any chance? Okay, so this is the this he wants to show you. This is the uh, let me see here. This is the Opinel oh, you want to show you. camping knife that we got. It's got a little twist top, so it stays locked. Opens up, put it back, lock it. Oh, shave yourself with it! I'm not shaving myself with it. <laughs> Get out of here. We we, we I shaved. Uh, I have two bald patches on my arm now because we were testing the the sharpness of the knives. i I try this one. No, no, no. Uh, let's see here. Viva, any chance with Victor Orban? Let me. There, there's a chance with everybody. I, 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 there's very few people who I would just say no, no, no interview with. Okay.
1: You would
0: say no interview to me. I I. I would interview my I would interview my kid. <laughs> the Coots the Coots for day five twenty-nine court coverage July twenty-nine. His live chat yesterday explained that there is a new information ban. Okay, so um Jason did message me that he said there is a new, let me just see if I can find it. He said there is a new information ban. Um yeah, so the, 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 it's an amazing thing, by the way, that the trials, you know, public court hearings used to be the rule. Now it's the ex- well, I won't say it's the exception. I won't be that hyperbolic. Now the new rule is we can we can have we can have justice in darkness. Horse crap. Democracy dies in darkness, and so does justice. You know, in in the um. Okay, another beautiful pocket knife made by Spyderco. These go back twenty. How old am I? I'm forty-four years old. These go back twenty-five years, twenty-seven years. That one I like. Yeah, this is a so
1: like it's me. a quadruple
0: riveted. I used to work at a camping shop. Open it! No, 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 no get out of here! I don't need to open it. I used to work at a camping We're shop. I fill them. No, get out of here! I used to work at a camping shop. Uh, you know, a metal handle, quadruple riveted blades that are made. One of the blades is made in Seki City, Japan. On that that's one, one of uh, one of the, the blades is made in Seki mm-hmm. City, Japan, where they make you know like wonderful blades. Another one was made in Golden, Colorado. These knives, I don't know that they make pocket knives like they used to anymore, just to sound like an old person. But uh, I used to work at a place in Montreal called Black's Camping, a place in Montreal called La Carde. I used to make money and then blow my salary on the very gear that I was selling to customers. Yeah, so apparently there's a new publication ban in in the Coots 4. And we've just gotten used to publication bans when Sheila Lewis had filed her charter uh, violation lawsuit against Alberta Health Services and the doctors who were taking her off an organ donor list. There was a publication ban on the name of the doctors, the name of the medical institution, the organ that she needed for her transplant, because the organ apparently would allow people to easily determine who the doctors were, what the medical institution was. This This is the new Canada. This is the new America. Publication bans, Hearings in darkness, I mean, even in North Korea, when they had the trial for auto warm beer, the kangaroo trial that that was in as much as other trials have been kangaroo trials, hey, they had it, it was public-ish. You can have it back. Thank you. Can I use the not, the, not the orange one, can I use the gray one? Um, Japan made awesome blades, yes. Don't get high on your own supply, says ZF5. That means, you know, it was, I used to work at a bike shop. It's just like, it was, when you're at that that stage of life, I mean, just, it all looks so beautiful. You just, you love it. You want to, oh, all right. uh, So I don't, I don't know if um, Jason Levine's going to come on or be able to get out for uh, for break. Let me give everybody his his, uh, Twitter handle so everybody can go follow him. And how do I do this? Jason Levine. And be sure to watch Timcast tonight. And then we continue on the journey tomorrow. Here, everybody, this is Jason Levine's Twitter feed. I'll go to locals and give it there as well. Boom um, shakalaka. Uh, Scott Ritter interview anytime soon, tampered. Not sure about that. It's so nice that Ethan is your traveling buddy. Ethan, oh, let's get the, hey, Pudge, come on. No, forget her. Winston's down in the corner. Okay, put, put that away, please, before you do that. Uh, let's see here. Pam Walker, RFK Jr. was denied Secret Service protection, yet Hunter had a whole detail take him to court. That's from Spinnaker. And then, oh, no, that was Pam Walker. Spinnaker in our locals community says, based on what we've seen from the Secret Service, I think he's better off with private protection. Uh, Viva, need a license to fish. That's the other thing is, I think you need a license to fish everywhere. Here, come here. Oh! Come here! Oh, she's so gross. Here she is, people. Yeah, she 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 doesn't smell particularly good. Pudge is doing very good. <laughs> I love this dog. Look at those! Look at those eyes. All right, get out of here. And the other ones down there. Okay, let's. I think we're going to end this because I don't think Jason's coming on. Is uh, let's go down here. We'll see you tonight. Keeps posted from the road, kids. Thank you, Natalie. Ethan, Pudge, Winston, cuteness overload. Hold on. Number two. Mm, mm,
1: mm.
0: Here we go. (laughs) Look, he's going to do the paw. Winston, what do you have to say? Don't speak. Don't speak. Okay. So, that's it. I'll share, uh, I'll talk. um, You know, it's better. I'll save all of the good Canadian rubbish for tonight and uh, i'm gonna go catch up on the news bourbon with barnes yesterday uh he was talking about the hunter plea deal being put on pause what it means uh going over the desantis campaign not going the way some people want (sighs) ah i think that's it okay so jason i'm oh we'll give one more minute one more minute and i'll just take a few questions Great interviews. Right In, uh, Viva but says, The kid just looked at me and said, "It's not a question. Get off the stream." Okay, we've it's been it's been an hour and a half, so I think it's the kid has been very very patient. Um, what do we do? Cra- crawfish. We're gonna go do it. Uh, uh, okay. I'm gonna go hunting for crawfish. We're gonna go hunting for crawfish. I, I want to find a place that serves crawfish. I've never eaten crawfish, and I think That's I've tasted. Just get one over there. We're not eating crawfish out of the potomac apparently the potomac is much less polluted now than it was it's a rated b up from a b minus 10 years ago it was a d but they still don't recommend swimming in it or eating the fish out of it so that'll be a hard no all right everybody go so that's it we'll uh, I'll, I'll i'll catch up with jason levine later on i don't know what time Timcast starts i know i'm supposed to be there 6 30 to 7 o'clock uh it's gonna be good and then tomorrow back on the road to our state of the free the free state of florida Everybody, thank you all for being here. Like, share, subscribe, download the app from Rumble. I've been told to say this every time, but I keep forgetting to say it. Download oh, the app. Can I say um, turn on the you can not put that down and you can come say it? Okay, we're ending. You've all been waiting for it. You can all you where can you find us? You can get merch at viva fry or or you can follow us. Hold on, hold on a second. Oh, wait, up, up, up. hold on. Practice. This is your moment. Where can you find us, Ethan? Vivarnslaw.locals.com <laughs> <laughs> Okay, wait one more time. Vivabarnslaw Wait, what is it? It's vivabarnslaw.locals.com. Hand in wait, the air. Go. Wait, 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 wait. What's the point that I'm missing? Vivabarnslaw.locals.com. Wait, what is it? I <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> I'm getting <laughs> trolled by a kid. What is it? You say it say it. say it. go. We gotta end it. I'm ending, I'm hitting end. Where can they find us? Viva Barnes Law. We Perfection. Perfection. (laughs) Get out of here. That's us. Okay. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Perfection. All right. Everybody go. Enjoy the day. We're going to find a place to get some exercise. I don't think it's going to be outside. It's too hot, but enjoy the day. See you all tonight. Peace out, everybody.